I think curiosity is key. I would say, you know, that that curiosity and knowing what's going on out there, have a point of view. Um, I think having a point of view is very important in making recommendations. Um, and uh, but, you know, that's so often people come with with problems and they point out what they don't like, but they don't have a point of view. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know you're big on that one from our past yeah. life together. I'd say accountability. Accountability is one. I mean, and these are things that I think people need to start learning now, but but keep score and hold yourself accountable. Hi, I'm Andy Murray. Welcome to It's a Customer's World podcast. Now more than ever, retailers and brands are accelerating their quest to be more customer-centric. But to be truly customer-centric, it requires both a shift in mindset and ways of working, not just in marketing, but in all parts of the organization. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with practitioners, thought leaders, and scholars to hear their thoughts on what it takes to be a leader in today's customer-centric world. Hello, everyone. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of chatting with my longtime friend, Chad Fox. Chad is the CMO of Dollar General, who shares a similar career journey that crosses agency, CPG, but in Chad's case, over 15 years in retail. Let's face it, today's CMO jobs, especially in retail, can be the most challenging roles to hold given the speed of the game, the breadth of complexity, and the constant change coming at you in all directions. Chad and I talked about all these challenges in depth and how seeing the role from these various vantage points creates empathy and an opportunity with the varying stakeholders for co-creation. Chad also goes into more detail about their new retail media network, DGM, and what makes it one of the more innovative and unique networks being offered today. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Hi, Chad. It's so great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show today. And it's always a pleasure to get to talk with you. Again, we've worked together for some time in different roles. And boy, what a pleasure to get to uh, hear your thoughts on so many cool topics we're going to discuss today. Well, thank you, Andy. Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to catching up again and, uh, and, and, and being with you today. Well, you know, you've been in this role since April of 2019. And, you know, we all go into different roles with preconceptions about what they're going to be like or what the company's like or what the customer base is like. What surprised you about uh, entering into Dollar General now that you've had two, three years to sink in a little bit? Yeah, no, great question. You know, in, in my initial conversations with the company, um, I mean, I was I was blown away at the the customer centricity of the company. I mean, the customer is truly at the center of everything that we do here at Dollar General. And I heard that over and over again, no matter who I was talking to with the company. And, and, and that's what you know, what what drove me here as as I was having those conversations and as I started to get deeper into the company, you know, I, I, I realized this company was a purpose-based brand before purpose was cool. Um, going back to the founding family of, uh, you know, the, the mission of serving others and serving the communities in which we operate and serving each other. 
and that's just it's it's just really you know amazing uh to be here and then as time went on i realized you know not only not only those two things but it's it's such a strategic company i mean we are very thoughtful and strategic in everything that we do the success that you've seen you know uh with dollar general over the last decade or so is is you know is by design and then lastly i'd say discipline it's a very disciplined approach in 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 the way that the way that we run the business and the way that we go to market so overall i mean i, I will tell you after three years it it feels like it's only been about a month uh, but but I'm I'm excited to be here and excited about all the great things that you know that we're doing as a company and the opportunity to be part of it. Oh, that's fantastic! It's cool to get in a spot where you feel comfortable and excited. And with the average tenure of a CMO today being about eighteen months, you've doubled that already. So you must be doing something don't right. Think today. <laughs> that's great. You know, it's interesting. Ironically, I had a podcast interview be coming out uh, with uh, Dr. Chris Gray, who's a shopper psychologist. And I asked him what were some of the epiphanies he's done through research that surprised him. And interestingly, he described uh, an experience. He's done hundreds of shop alongs, uh, shopper intercepts as part of his work. And he described uh, a Dollar General example as his career highlight, where he had these uh, biases about what the Dollar General shopper was like and so on and so forth. And in an exit interview, he said, you know, he's talking to this woman and he was expecting to hear, well, I'm on a tight budget and, you know, scrimping on things of that nature. But actually what she said was, I love shopping at Dollar General because um, my kids, you know, I can give them a couple bucks, they can get a couple toys. It's such a fun experience. And it is a moment for, it was a moment for her, for her family yeah. that was really an experiential moment and something that he completely caught him off guard. But it just shows you we can get misconceptions about a lot of different retail formats and different things and why people shop and how they shop. And is that is that some of the learnings that parallel some of the learnings you've had about the Dollar General consumer? Yeah, no, I would say that that that's right. I mean, it's uh, it's guilt free shopping. It's that affordable joy. And and they're value driven customers. I mean, and some of them are value driven out of necessity, and some of them are value driven out of principle. But um, but they come to us to you know as the most convenient option to stretch their dollar on the things they need and and the things that they love. Well, it's interesting. I, I worked in the UK for four years in grocery retail at a larger grocery. Um, uh, chain and uh, Aldi, which is similar in Dollar General in some ways in, in the UK, but uh, we would hear in focus groups, what I like about shopping at an Aldi or limited assortment type hard discounter is that I'm weak. And I get into a big Asda store and I just buy all kinds of stuff and they help me edit yeah. my choices, which is something that's really helpful versus being tempted into buying things you don't really want. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think, you know, our our curated assortment is certainly part of our convenience proposition. I mean, so it's not just location and, and easy to get in and out of in the size of the box, but it's that curated assortment. But once you start walking those four foot sections, you realize that it's everything you could possibly need. It's just, you know, a limited assortment of each one of those things. Well, yeah, and, I, and this is not a dig against uh, Amazon, but, you know, the everything store, I've always thought, who has time for everything? Uh, and, you know, we do need, I think, at, at some level, help on curation, and it does simplify our life, you know, yeah. simplifies our time budgets, and so it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful proposition. Before I get into some of the other things I want to talk about with uh, Dollar General, 
I'd love for you to talk about your background. You and I share some similar paths. Uh, we both have worked, started in CPG, and then uh, spent time in agency, and then spent time in big retail. How has those three experiences influenced your approach and thinking today? Yeah, I would say that um, it has certainly given me a perspective that that you know not everyone has um, a more global perspective, an, an empathy for a lot of the you know the different people that have to come together to do this this job that we call you know marketing, and and a view of how all the different pieces of the puzzle go together. I Andy, you're, you know this, but I mean the way that I got into this was quite different than, than a lot of other folks. I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old and uh, college wasn't quite something that I even had in mind. I thought I was going to be, um, you know, work on jets for American Airlines. I learned to be a jet mechanic in the Marine Corps. But then I went on to college and, and you know, class after class, I, learned, I fell in love with, with marketing. But because I was starting later than everyone else, I went straight to grad school. And coming out of, coming out of grad school, I went into the agency business. Uh, which is which is quite different than than most other people. But I did it. it. It was a it was an intentional choice, and because what the agency business gave me was a postgraduate education, um, where I got exposure to multiple brands, multiple industries, multiple ways of doing things, and really, you know, learned the anatomy of branding and marketing and advertising and media. And then from there, I went into CPG and I took my first associate brand manager job after five, nearly six years on the agency side, which was, it, 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 you know, I had a much different perspective than the other folks in brand management um, because of, you know, what I'd seen and where I came from. I still had a lot to learn and I learned a ton while doing that, but there was a, there was a certain speed of, of business and a, and a thrill that I got in the agency business and um, that I wasn't quite getting in CPG. And so when I moved into retail, I just completely fell in love. I mean, retail felt like it was the place to take those two experiences and really bring them to life, working with agencies, working with the CPGs and, um, and really starting to put it all together. And then, as you know, my time, you know, my time in retail, I've, I've, I've done almost every job in the marketing department at multiple levels and even spent a little bit of time, you know, in merchandising, which, uh, which was a whole nother experience uh, within retail to, to, you know, to bring that, that perspective and that empathy in and, and start to put it all together. And I think it's that collection of experiences that I've had over the last 23 years that, you know, that, and I draw on every one of those every single day in, you know, in making decisions and, and teaching folks and, and putting plans together. Well, you mentioned the idea of speed and, and that, as that, that came to the top of the list and I came into retail much later in my career journey and it was a bit of a culture shock in terms of the speed of the game that really is underappreciated and the cadence and discipline required and the the weekly, like the world mm -hmm. li lives in a much more compressed time frame, which I found to be very entrepreneurial. I mean, it, yeah. it felt like an entrepreneurial experience even though it was a massively big company because of the speed. And it sounds like you've had a similar kind of epiphany through that. Yeah. And the speed is, you know, not everybody, not everybody appreciates that as much as, as I do and, and you do. And, and I will tell you, DG moves at a whole different speed than what I've seen in my past, which is, which is even better. But, you know, there's a little bit of that, 
um, what, what, what they, one of the key things they teach you in the Marine Corps is this idea of, you know, no good battle plans provides first contact with the enemy, but, you know, improvise and overcome and, and, you know, being able to operate in the, in the fog of war, so to speak. And, and that's fun. And, and that's what retail is really, is really like, I mean, you, good enough is perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I also think in retail, it's helpful to have those multiple perspectives because you've yeah. got in a fog, you've got to see or at least assume where the canvas is that you're, you're the territory, right? And, and have that perspective. And if you've had those multiple views, you can really probably see around the edges and corners a bit better than yeah. if you didn't have those experiences. And it leads me to my next point, which I think is your background has really probably aided you in this, but it, you guys have recently announced that you're entering into that retail media network space. And given that that is a different type of ecosystem that touches agencies, touches CPG suppliers and retail and that collaboration required, I've got to believe your experience across those three have given you a bit more confidence in this space than you might have not had if you just saw the lens through, you know, one one look. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right, Andy. And it goes back to, you know, that that you know, that empathy and understanding what each person's objectives are and finding that, you know, that that shared success model. And for us, we're, you know, we're an 83 year old company, but we're in growth mode. And so everything is about growth. It's our growth and it's the growth of our vendors um, through DG. And so, you know, for us, this was just another way, another unlock of that next generation of growth. I will tell you, we've been in the retail media space since um, since late 2018. But the way that we got into it was more of a it was really building off of the work that we've done with DG Digital Coupon since 2013 and, and that deterministic data that we collected. And uh, and we had a partner um, still do have a partner in that space that helped us get into retail media. But over that period, we've been in the background kind of building out building it out ourselves and just trying to how do we take it to the next level and and most of that started with knowing our customer and we've known our customer for 83 years but there's a whole nother level a whole nother depth of knowing about that customer through data and and their engagement and understanding in them in that way so we've made big big investments as a company in first party data and um i mean and it have grown that first party data both you know horizontally and vertically in a really big way. We are now at over, we have over 85 million unique customer profiles for, for DG customers. And it's in its rich profiles as well, over 1400 derived attributes that can be appended to each one of those profiles. And so that's not just retail media. I mean, we clearly, we use that to run the business, whether that's merch analytics or promo optimization or our personalization efforts or our own paid media efforts. It just so happens that it also works for retail media and gives our vendors, our manufacturing partners, an opportunity to tap into that insight, tap into those audiences and help grow their businesses at DG as well. And so we've approached it in that way. We've approached it with the agencies in mind. We've approached it with the manufacturers in mind and, of course, with DG in mind. Well, and the audience you're talking about is one that's probably not as rich uh, in understanding for most CPG because you've got more of a rural audience that gets underserved. Is that Do I have that right? No, that's exactly right. We've got over 18,000 stores 
in the franchise and uh, throwing off about 2 billion transactions a year. But you're right, the, the really unique piece of that footprint is that 75% of those stores are in markets of 20,000 people or less. And so that's, that's, that's a customer that tends to be uh, not just underserved geographically and underserved financially, they tend to be underrepresented in, in the syndicated world and the customer insights world and the digital media world. So, so getting to them and really understanding them is difficult. But in the world of digital media, and again, we learned this on our own, in, in the world of performance marketing and, and digital media, you tend to optimize into customers that are more efficient and more effective. And there's a strong correlation to those being in densely populated areas. And so these customers are hard to reach and they're hard to measure. And even if you do figure out how to reach them because you can't measure them, you're optimizing out of them. And so what we have found is because of that, people are optimizing out of, you know, small town in rural America. They're optimizing out of roughly 30% of the country and they're optimizing out of the core customer of the fastest growing brick and mortar retailer in the U.S. And so for us, what DGMN is all about is being able to bring them extended, unduplicated reach uh, with an audience, with a, a, a media program that is additive to their existing plans. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it feels to me like, I mean, you know, the, the marketing different roles, but there's local marketing, which has never really been efficient for big national retailers. Uh, it was always around store openings, maybe, right. or, you know, remodels done, because there was no national media to really connect in that that would scale and be efficient in your media uh, portfolio, as you've described. But it feels a bit like to me, you're offering something that almost gives you access to a local marketing capability or mindset yep. with the retail media network at scale because you've got a more efficient way to reach that audience. That's right. And it, it can be local in that we can geo-target um, around certain stores. And and we even again we even do that with our with our own money in terms of the way that that we go to market with our with our paid digital media. But it's the ability to geo-target, but it's also the ability to have a, an, an audience-first approach. And so the balance of those two things, again, to, to make sure that you've got coverage of 18,000 stores and you're not optimizing into a core set, but do that in an audience-first sort of way and you know, in leveraging our deterministic first-party data to do that. When you look at uh, the retail media network landscape, and there's a lot of press going on about that space right now, of course, it seems like there's a new retail media network comes up like mushrooms after the rain. Yeah. Um, but you've, you've really kind of taken a different approach. You've taken a bit more unique approach to that. What gave you confidence to, to say, okay, let's go big here. Now's our time. Yeah, no. So great question. I mean, and again, it goes back to that. It, it's it's all about reach. And I mean, you've been in marketing for a long time. I've been in marketing for a long time. And we know that reach is one of the, the ghosts that we're always chasing. And, you know, for us to be able to say, hey, here's 30% of the country that you don't have today. Um, there's something there. And, um, and it's that small town rural nature of it. it it's something that, um, that no one else is really talking about. So when we do think about that value proposition, you know, we have conversations with our manufacturing partners all the time that, and their agencies don't homogenize us. Don't think of us 
like you do all the other retail media networks out there. And that's not just a that's not just a, a sales pitch. It, it, it's really the case. I mean, in terms of, you know, there's the audience approach and we tend to go to market more as an audience provider than it is about eyeballs on in our app and on our site. That is certainly part of a media plan that we put together for our advertisers. But the vast majority of the media that we deliver tends to be offsite. It tends to be offsite, you know, and programmatic in, in nature, but based on our audiences. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. And one of the things that I learned the hard way, perhaps in the early days of shopper marketing was the, the newness of it disrupted a lot of roles internally. Uh, we had to create separate brand development funds for shopper marketing. So it didn't just go into off invoice understanding. It wasn't just taking the packaging art and driving it in store and expecting, you know, a, a really relevant shopper experience because it's different. Uh, and so so there ended up being a lot of education required uh, on both uh, inside of CPG from a marketing and commercial team to really get on the same page and, and align that. And I'm finding that, you know, that's, that's, a, there's another wave coming of education required for retail media networks, because they do tend to blur the lines between marketing and the sales teams inside of CPG, given you've walked those trails, being on the CPG side gives you some understanding to, you know, why those roles are getting blurred and, and it's, it's getting more difficult. Is that helped you understand and work through yeah. positioning of these and, and some of those challenges. It, it certainly has. And I mean, as I, I think about it, is it's the opportunity to put the peanut butter and the chocolate together and be a full funnel marketer. And I think for years, you know, the brands may have seen whether it's shopper marketing and now it's retail media as more of a tax, something that they have to do, getting them to embrace and go, holy smokes, I've never had access to true conversion. How do I work that full funnel from building brand equity all the way down to conversion through, you know, through a specific retailer? And that, so that's certainly how we talk to them about it and how we think about it, especially with those manufacturers where they have brands where DG really over indexes, you know, with that product where we may be their number two retail customer. So that's certainly how we think about it. And, and I think, you know, I've talked to CMOs in the CPG, you know, I've, I've talked to different yeah. people every week and that's where they're starting to go is this is my upper funnel team. This is my lower funnel team. How do I kind of connect it together, you know, so that, you know, we're not dependent upon models to, to determine which half of our media is working, but we can actually measure everything with one-to-one -one closed loop attributable store sales and, and incrementality. Yeah, it feels like the technology and, and what you guys are doing with Retail Media Networks is ahead of our language and models because it's disrupting that. And I've um, I've always felt that the upper funnel, lower funnel just doesn't serve as well in this kind of world. It's it's much more like shoots and ladders. I mean, you've got, you know, you can drop in and go down pretty quickly with this space. And so perhaps the, the language we use, the models that we've been using traditionally need to evolve a bit faster to understand how seamless this can be and how it can accomplish both. Because, you know, you get you get this in your head, it has to be this or that. Mm -hmm. And and the, the power of and is is hard for a lot of people to grasp. You know, when we debate this all the time, do we still talk about things in the world of the funnel? Is it more of a nonlinear approach that that you know? It, it, but at the end of the day, I think it's two different things. I think I think there is a customer journey there that is nonlinear and it's multidimensional. 
And, and, and we think a lot about comms planning and, and, you know, what are all the different touch points? What role does the platform play in that touch point? What should our message be at that point? And it certainly is more complicated than a funnel, but whenever you think about, there's still a lot of, a lot of merit to thinking about the funnel in my mind, in terms of the types of advertising or the types of communication that you're doing. And um, and being able to grab onto that that ankle of that that customer room and pull them all the way through conversion. And it may there may be some side to side in there as well, but that that's certainly how we think about it. You taking this pr- approach you have is not an easy path to start in. A lot of people come in, I mean, I, I can just speak from my own experiences in retail with, you know, selling space in store and adding it in to, to that. In the UK, it's a bit more developed. You see, you know, people buying car park banners and bollard sleeve colors, covers all part of a retail media, yeah. but, uh, and it's really focused just on the owned assets. Uh, you've come at it with an external audience, which is maybe because of the nature of the stores and and how things are set up. But I, I admire that because it's it's a bigger it's a bigger opportunity, and yet it's also a pretty big tech challenge to to jump into that space. And so, how have you approached that to to get over those hurdles? Because you you guys are really coming at it at the top end of where these networks are today. Yeah. So, um, and, 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 you know, we're, the way that we think about DG Media Network, we're certainly selling bollard sleeves and, um, and, and signs and stuff in the store. But you're right. The nature of our stores with 7,500 square feet of retail space. And so we don't have an action alley. We don't have a cart rail. We don't have, um, I mean, we, if you've been, spent much time in our stores, we, we don't have that many end caps. And so again, it goes back to don't homogenize us with all other retailers as well, because that's not what shopper marketing, you know, means or in retail media is a big piece of that. And so for us, we have a, um, a go talk about brand story to tell and our manufacturing partners play a huge role in that. And the more awareness we can build outside of the store of the fact that we carry their brands, their portfolio of brands, that starts to position, that drives consideration and positions DG as the retailer of choice, which results in more traffic to the stores, results in more turns of the merchandise, more POs, more sales, et cetera. And so it's getting our, our manufacturing partners to not just think about it as a conversion opportunity at the aisle or in the aisle, but an opportunity to bring people in and then convert them and start to drive that lifetime value. From, from, a, from a tech standpoint, I'll go back to you know, what we've done and how we've built our first party data set. And, um, and like I said, it is, it is bigger for us than just retail media. We use it in multiple ways. So we've built our entire MarTech stack on top of that. Um, and so we've got one unified MarTech stack that really works for every way that we're using that first party data. And then our ad tech partners are, you know, partnerships, strategic partnerships are, are very similar. And so whenever you take that, for, we talk about this, this small town, this rural customer, you know, where 75% of our stores are that are very hard to reach. You know, they're hard to reach and they're hard to measure. And so our first party data set enables us to to get them so we can provide that audience. But then it's partnerships like the trade desk 
and um, you know, and and having that ability from a programmatic media standpoint to not just deliver the contracted impressions um, in that media plan, but deliver them to the right profiles within those audiences that are going to deliver them the highest return on ad spend. And so that that is a big partnership that that we are in, where our unique you know, things that we each bring to the table, our centers of gravity coming together is really powerful. And then another partnership that we have is with um, the folks at LiveRamp and specifically with Safe Haven uh, with their clean room capability. And that enables us to offer what once was only available to pure play e-com retailers, that one-to-one closed loop, you know, attributable store sales and incrementality. And now we can measure that when the vast majority of our sales are still brick and mortar. And um, and and continues to grow like crazy. And so, what what the clean room enables us to do is to be able to to take those folks who were exposed to those impressions, match them back up to our profiles, and then be able that are appended on an ongoing basis with in store um, with in store behavior, and to be able to deliver them, you know, attribution and incrementality, which is again. It, you know, it's not modeled, it's not extrapolated, it, it's one-to-one. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I've seen a lot of CPG approach retail media networks as uh, strictly in a more narrow lens of a performance marketing play or a programmatic play. But if you really get into it and understand it, the, the mindset, I think, is just me speaking, but is is a more shopper marketing mindset to think about the total customer journey opportunity, yep. go beyond the KPIs of just performance marketing and look at, you know, how you can look at the total customer journey, find those key insights around what might influence purchase behavior and have a more insight driven approach than a performance, just pure data. It, it, that still has a role, but the overarching mindset would be better served if they looked at as an extension or complement to shopper marketing thinking. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And um, and and we, you know, we don't sit as a as a separate unit off from you know the rest of the organization. Not only are we one marketing department, but we're one you know operations group. I mean, we sit with merchandising, marketing, supply chain, global sourcing, private brands. We're all in this together. Store operations. And so we're just another lever in the in the de- demand generation portfolio. You think about our relationship with the merchants and with the sales folks on the CPG side. I mean, our team is sitting in those JVP meetings. And so whenever you've got a goal to get from here to here over the next three years, and you're looking at a waterfall or that you know that bar chart on all the different levers you're going to pull to get there, DGMN is one of those levers. So it really is about growth and it's about accelerating that growth you know for the manufacturers I, I think that's brilliant and I've I've personally experienced having the retail media team kind of sitting on the side and not integrated to the merchant strategies and plans and JBPs and when I talk about a shopper marketing mindset I'm talking about when those factors start to come mm-hmm. together inside a retailer where you can look at programming that is, you know, not just drives your individual SKU or item, but thinks about the category for the retailer space, and you could mutually work together to grow a category. And for that to happen, you have to have really strong partnership with merchandising and operations. It's not something that could sit over there and, and just you know, churn on its own where those plans seem so disconnected from, you know, what's on the mind of the key merchants. 
it really is. It's using it's using media and and the insights that are derived from that data and those audiences, either on the front end or the back end, to solve problems. And so when you're in the data and and you're looking at you know uh, at share opportunities or you know if we could close that share gap by fifty percent over the next six months, here's what it's worth. All right. That you can then look at the segmentation that that you know that helps to that uh, the customers that you would you would look at to go after that that becomes an audience then you can use media to go solve that problem or at least a portion of that problem and so it is a it's a business tool and so I think it's it's a different way of looking at it. Yeah, and you know what? And to get that insight of you just described, you almost have to have had. Uh, I'll put my a CPG hat on a, a stint in the commercial side of the business, as well as in the traditional brand marketing, because some of the things you're describing, that holistic way to look at it, it's beyond any one function. And and if you yeah. just had done shopper marketing and you were only in a commercial side of that, you miss the nuances of what uh, a brand media person's trying to accomplish, you know, you don't talk about CPM as much in a shopper marketing space. You're, you talk about ROI. Yeah. And yet this starts to bring those worlds together. So, you know, one of the challenges I see in the industry is just lack of, um, of, of skill development in this to really learn those different components. You've had the good fortune of, of moving your career through those learning environments, but uh, where do you see the industry right now in just having people that could sit in these roles and really see those different components and, and get past those blind spots? Yeah, it, it's a great question. So I, I do think that um, that people's careers are going to be a collection of experiences. But to your point, how do you how do you accelerate that? Because not everybody can wait 23 years to put all those together. Um I, you know, I, I think that as a as a marketer, you know, we need to start thinking about um, or over time, what we we've, we've started thinking about is, is really it goes back to the four P's and and getting beyond just the, the poetic words and the pretty pictures, which, as you know, I've had stints in my career um, where that was my that was my primary mission. And uh, and I've also been been guilty early on in my career, you know, when I'm sitting in front of the media agency. And it's a, a two-inch deck that they want to present to me. Going, can can I just see the flowchart? Um, you know, over a decade ago, um, and and I've evolved. I mean, I now will spend. I spend more time with our with our our digital media agency than I do with our creative agency. And so I think you know that's become a much um, much cooler and sexier part of the job, and and one that you know needs to be probably the the center of gravity of how people think now. And so there is a there is a critical thinking. There's a, a problem solving ability. There's a there as a marketer now just really understanding and appreciate appreciating data and analytics and the insights that can be you know derived and that that manifest out of that data. But what what will never go away is um, I mean you've got to balance that with brand. I, I still think that I mean. As a young marketer, you still need to learn to appreciate design and and in that way of thinking, and um, because it's a combination of how it all works together. Yeah. And so as I think about our our marketing department, I mean, we talk about stewarding an unmistakably Dollar General brand. We talk about generating demand um, through programs and through media, and we talk about being the voice of the customer and. Those three things, I think, will always matter in marketing. 
But that demand generation now is a much more analytical and data-driven approach than what, and technology-driven approach than what it was in the past. Yeah, you know, and I think there's a misnomer that the world was only going to belong to the data scientist as we look at it from a marketing perspective. But as you've just pretty well articulated, there's no substitute for good marketing fundamentals and in, in understanding marketing principles about how you build a brand. Uh, that doesn't go away. Actually, it complements the current necessity to be really strong in data and analytics. Yeah. I mean, we've always talked about segment mark or segment target position, you know, that that still exists today. It's just we have more refined tools to be able to do it. Yeah. One of the misnomers I feel in anybody that works in rural environments is there's a lack of sophistication. But as you've just pointed out, it's just the opposite with Dollar General specifically. And I found that to be true in Aldi and some of the other retailers is actually it's 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 a misnomer. And you know, I think we get we get these biases about where the the sexy stuff is. This actually ends up being pretty sexy stuff when you start to work across these different areas and some uncharted areas like you that you're doing now. Yeah, no, I I agree. And again, it, as I think about a a marketer's career, it's it's how do you get this collection of experiences or put more arrows in your quiver? And um, I I I had an experience where. I headed up an advertising in, in my past life and um, we were super focused on television and it was, a you, you know, this, we worked together. I mean, and, and it was a fun job, but I looked up and, and I noticed that I, I was at risk of being a dinosaur and the industry was moving extremely fast. And I asked to leave that job and make a move into another position that enabled me to jump on that wave. And, um, and I will tell you, I mean, I went into an accelerated learning um, on it and happens, it hasn't slowed down. I mean, that it's moving so much, but are so fast. Um, but it's so interesting and, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Well, let's um, talk about that yeah. learning bit because you, a lot of your learning style is self-directed. You, you've got a passion for learning and staying abrupt and you've made career changes, not because you were told to, because you saw it happen and you knew what was going on. We get a lot of audience members for this podcast that are students at times or, or, or just early into their career. Uh, what advice do you have for someone that uh, is just about to graduate or is graduating college today in terms of how to build career experiences that might give them a one up down the road competitively? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a very linear journey that I think you see so many folks in, in this industry take. And, uh, you know, there's a, I have a, I have a, my son, my 18 year old son is, is heading to, to Indiana to start business school here in a couple of months. So he and I have this conversation quite often. Um, and he's going to study marketing, which is mom's uh, not all that happy about, but <laughs> your, um, your dinner conversations are going to change forever. Yeah. But I will tell you, I mean, I, I've steered him towards going back to what we talked earlier, more of that you know, data-driven analytical approach and to start, you know, a, approaches undergraduate studies in that way versus all the, you know, spending too much time in all the, the creative classes. But, I, you know, I would say that curiosity is something that, that, that I think, you know, people need to either naturally be that way or they need to try to adopt that way of thinking, um, because being a, a student, you know, of, of, of marketing, being a student of the customer, being a student of retail, 
is, um, I mean, you, that will be a lifelong or a career long practice. And so I think curiosity is key. I would say, you know, that, that curiosity and knowing what's going on out there, have a point of view. Um, I think having a point of view is very important in making recommendations. Um, and, uh, but you know, that's so often people come with, with problems and they point out what they don't like, but they don't have a point of view. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I know you're big on that one from our past yeah. life together. I'd say accountability. Accountability is one. I mean, and these are things that I think people need to start learning now, but, but keep score and hold yourself accountable. Um, I tell my team all the time, we are, they stop talking about they, we are, they, and, um, and so be accountable. And, uh, and then I said this earlier, you know, don't be a dinosaur, stay fresh, stay on top of what's going on out there and, and collect new experiences and, and new learnings. The final thing I would say on that one, uh, you and I both know Steve Bratsby's well, Steve said to me, you know, several, probably a decade ago, we had a lot of new people starting with the company, young MBAs coming straight out of grad school. And they all wanted to know, all right, what, what do I do? What's the order of things that I do? I need this job, then this job. Should I go over to merchandising? Should I go over to, over to operations? What are these different? And, and his point was always learn how to do something first. Learn how to do something. And in this case, learn how to be a marketer. And so, you know, I, I, I think, I, I think there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of truth in that. And, you know, I made the decision again, coming out of grad school to go work on the agency side. I do I vividly remember one of my professors saying, you're dragging down the starting salary of the entire class. Um, um, <laughs> which was, rough. Um, because I took a job as an account executive. Yeah. And but I saw it as postgraduate education. I wanted to go get, you know, my my PhD, so to speak, in marketing, uh, in branding. And um, and I think that is, you know, that's that's really important. And I, I did at the director level, I made the move over to merchandising. And uh, but I felt, you know, like I was taking a perspective as a marketer into um, into that role. And it was time for me to go, you know, I'd learned how to do something. It was time for me to go. What I didn't realize is, or maybe I didn't realize it enough, is how much I did love marketing. Um, and uh, and I've got a lot of, I've got a boss that's a merchant. I've got a lot of merchants around me. Um, but, but what I learned from my one year in merchandising is how much I love marketing. But I will tell you, it goes back to perspective, Andy. I came back into marketing as an even better marketer because yeah. of that experience in merchandising and, and the empathy that I've developed for what the merchants do and what the vendors do. I saw a different side of, of the vendors or the manufacturer partners in that role. And it, it was another you know experience that made me a better marketer. So um, that's, that, that's fantastic. I, I want to believe something in there that would help, you know, um, students. Well, that's, that's super helpful. And maybe, uh, you know, I've, been a CMO at a retail and, and I've seen a lot of CMOs through that space. And it seems to me there's a couple of things there that happen that can where, where it can get derailed. Uh, one is if the CMO is really super brand centric and, you know, just doesn't really appreciate the merchandising challenges and the and the fact that that there has to be a balance or they're so merchandising centric, they don't appreciate the brand 
building importance and to walk that fine line and have conviction and a point of view, but at the same time, knowing what the culture can assimilate, knowing, mm-hmm. you know, how you bring people along is the secret in longevity and, and I think outcomes, you know, over yeah. time. And so how do you thread that, that needle if you think that, that it's the same dynamic? Yeah. I mean, so I think you you have to you have to listen. I mean, you have to seek to understand others' points of view and understand what winning looks like to them and what they need, and um, and then how can you help them solve those problems? And then help seeing that you know help them see that from their side as well. Whenever it comes to what what you're trying to do, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, we have to do both. I mean, as marketers, I mean, you need to. You need to steward a brand that that customers want to love and that customers feel like it's a brand for them and and that they you know want to spend time with. But at the same time, we as marketers exist in the organization to generate demand. I mean, our job, especially in retail marketing, is to it is to drive traffic to the stores. Um, and and if we're not doing that, then we're not fulfilling, you know, everything, you know, that we've been hired to do. hundred percent. I don't, I don't think people realize how difficult some of the competing voices can be in retail marketing when, you know, comps are low, you know, you get, sometimes you can get pressure from merchants to say, we just need to shout louder about price or whatever that might be. And there might be some truth in that, but you have to have a point of view about where does that become noise to the consumer and when is it effective or not? And they really look to you for that leadership on that balance and expect you to hold your own on your point of view than uh, just going wherever the wind blows because there's so many winds coming at you with different competing objectives. You have to be able to sort that out in a way that keeps everybody on side and moves forward. And so my advice to people learning um, their way into this market marketing career is you know, spend time developing your skills in collaboration, uh, co-creation, you know, get, bringing people along. Uh, those are just really important skill sets to have as you get later in your career and higher and higher in the organization. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And again, I, I mentioned empathy earlier. I think that's, a, yeah. you know, that that's a big piece of that is just understanding where others are coming from. And, uh, you know, the, the good thing I go back to this, this digital, you know, marketing and digital media world that we live in is now we're able to measure so much and we're able to tell what's working and what's not working. And so, you know, the, let the data be the truth and the truth will set you free. And a good idea can come from anywhere. And, uh, and, you know, and sometimes I want to believe that you never should be shouting at the customer. Uh, but, uh, but there are times to talk about item price and yeah. there are times to talk about, you know, other big equity building ideas. That's right. And it's, and, it, and it's understanding when is the right time to do what, depending on where you are in that customer's journey and what's going to keep kind of pulling them down towards, you know, um, you know, converting at your, you know, with, at, at your store. Well, and I love your point about spending spend a year in merchandising if you do go into retail marketing just to get that other side of the perspective and build that empathy for the challenges merchants are under and, and how their measurement systems really work, and you'll be a much better marketer for it. 
Chad, as we wrap this up and you look to the future, what's happening with marketing, I got a couple questions. One, if you were to parse out a percentage of your time, you know, how much of it, how much do you look at and say, I, I'm, this is learning time, you know, where you, you're just constantly trying to stay on top and keep on your game? Because uh, I think sometimes people underestimate how much learning has to continually happen no matter what level you are in your career. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I'm not, um, I'm probably not very good at setting office hours or learning times and really kind of uh, uh, setting that aside. It's much more of an organic thing for me. Okay. Um, I, I think, you know, I, like you, Andy, I'm, I'm fortunate that what I've done, been doing for a living for the last 23 years has, is, is, I love it. Um, I mean, I, I, it's not just a job. I mean, it's just part of who I am and what I do. And so because of that, I, I'm able to, to put, make that a, a more organic part of what I do. Yeah. So whether that is, you know, just reading about things, um, reading books, reading about things on the internet, listening to podcasts, um, or whatever that may be, I, I, I enjoy listening to that stuff, just like I would enjoy watching a movie, which is I don't know if that's healthy or not, but that's that that's the, the way that it is. The other thing I would say is I have learned to take the time to have conversations with strategic partners about this stuff and um, and that it's not always sleeves rolled up in the muck about the day to day. Do purposely carve out time to, you know, talk to your ad, you know, spend time talking to your ad tech partners about where they're going, about their roadmap, about what they're seeing, about what they see other people innovating on. Same thing with your digital media agency. You know, I joked earlier about I used to just show me the flow chart. I got I got to go. And now, I mean, I, I spend probably an hour or two every month with our digital media agency just talking about what's going on out there. And I mean, that could be the latest and greatest thing going on in the world of SEM or privacy or paid social or programmatic or, um, you know, legislation. I mean, it could be a lot of, a lot of different things, but just taking the time to have conversations with people and learn from what they're a subject matter expert at and, uh, and just, you know, think of it, you know, like being a student. Well, for those that are working in agency roles, I, I, from now being on the retail, retailer side and looking back, uh, I think the, the thing that I would tell them is that don't underestimate the value of having those conversations with your client about the future. They're dying for it. You know, having someone in your organization that's not just day to day, but is looking out and bringing that perspective forward because you, you almost feel malnourished in that space because the retail jobs are so scheduled and fast moving. You know, it's precious time to be able to do that and say, hey, let's take a few minutes and look look at where we're going. Boy, you know, if I was back in an agency role, I would have been more proactive on trying to be that conciliar to my client for the future, because it is a valued piece to look through that. Uh, one last question, uh, Chad, as you look to the future, lots of things going on out there, lots of things happening in culture and, you know, different changes in media and digital and everything else. But what gives you hope uh, as you look forward and stay optimistic and try to plan your future out, the uh, future of DG especially, but as you look out two to three years, what, what gives you hope? Yeah. And so what I, I would say, I mean, what gives me hope, Andy, is is that, you know, the the the, the next generation of, of really, 
you know, what's coming in, in, in marketing and in, in media and, um, and that there's just so much change and, um, and change for the better. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when you think about things like, um, you know, cookie deprecation or privacy or all those things that I think have a lot of people scrambling for us, we see it as an opportunity to get closer to our customer. I, I go back to what I said at the beginning, you know, of this conversation about our investment in first party data. We truly do believe that we exist to serve others. That is our purpose. That is our mission as a company. And the more that we know that customer, the deeper our knowledge of the customer, the better we can serve them. The more we can save them time, the more we can save them money. And, uh, and the more we can position ourselves as a brand for them and as a, as a retailer for them. And so, you know, and from that standpoint, I think that the changes that we see happening in marketing and in, in media, and even though it's moving extremely fast, it's just going to make us be better marketers. It's going to make us yeah. be more customer centric marketers. And, you know, as a retailer and as a, you know, in, in running a, a retail media network, being able to help our manufacturing partners and their marketing departments in that way and giving them access to that insight and that knowledge and being able to help them connect more, not with their consumer, but connect better with our customer. You know, I, 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 to me, that's 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 where we've been talking about marketing going for a long time. And with this digital stuff that we started talking about over two decades was supposed to be all about. And yeah. so for me, that that's really exciting. And man, I, I wish I had another 20 years that I could spend spend in the business, be, you know, and, and be part of that. I feel the same way, Chad. I think this is a huge unlock to get to a place that will be better for the consumer. And that's what we're trying to do is improve shoppers' lives, improve consumers' lives at the end of the day. And I, too, wish I had another 20 years to go uh, or be 20 years younger in today's environment because yeah. I do think it's going to be a great time of innovation. I don't think we've seen yet the kind of innovation that can be built on the technology and infrastructure that's that's now starting to emerge thanks to cookies, cookie-less world, which is seen as a bad thing, but actually could be uh, a real unlock to creativity and innovation and insight. So, hey, thank you so much for your time, Chad. You've been great. You, you have an amazing career story, a great mentor to so many different people. And I just really appreciate your time and insights and spending your time with me. No, same to you, Andy. It was good to catch up and, and see you again. And, and really, I, I mean, I, I see you as a mentor. So um, thank you for, you know, everything you've You've done today, but also what you've done for me, you know, through my career and, and advice and experiences that you've given me along the way. I really appreciate you. I had a great time speaking with Chad. I really enjoyed his advice for up and coming practitioners to pursue continuous learning from all aspects of the marketing industry. Chad's career-long focus on empathy and his passion for learning is something that marketers at all levels can learn from. That's it for this episode of It's a Customer's World. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends, and I'd be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's a Customer's World podcast is a product of the University of Arkansas's Customer-Centric Leadership Initiative and a Walton College original production. 